It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise. We pour out our praise. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise to you, only God. You give life. thought of this, but if someone wasn't familiar with what happens in church and they saw a few people lifting their hands like that while they're singing, it, it's kind of weird. 
right? <laughs> I mean, has anyone ever thought of that? It's a little, it's a little strange if you've not grown up in this and been been a part of it for a while. But I'm such a believer that our physical bodies are so connected and in tune with our mental and our spiritual and emotional states. We are holistic beings. And so to sing words like it's your breath and our love, to open up our hands, we give of ourselves, we give of our spirits to the Lord. And this is what he has asked of us. Um, as Paul talked about last week in uh, Romans 1 and 2. You can read that later because today I'm going to read to you from First uh, Peter chapter 2, starting at verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. See, there is a way we're called to live. And it's in holy submission to the Lord. So we're gonna sing an older song. It's kind of a new take on an older song, but that could have been said 20 years ago. So I don't know how time works still. It's confusing to me, but I think you're gonna recognize it. But even if this is a brand new song to you, you can still worship and pray these words out loud. Even if you don't know or understand the tune, that's okay. Maybe you're not comfortable with this kind of thing. That's okay too. I want to encourage you to start somewhere. And even, I can't really do this with my guitar. Brian, can you show them? Even just open hands, right? Even just by your waist. I mean, like, it doesn't have to be huge and it's okay. Start somewhere, but open your hands to the Lord. I promise you there's a connection between your physical body and the words that you're saying. Let's pray this together. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take my
Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Well, good morning. It is, uh, it's great to see you. Um, this morning for our next-gen moment, we're going to do something just a little bit different. Um, a couple of weeks ago, some uh, teens and I and some of my awesome adults, we, uh, we made a trip to Toledo, Ohio. And uh, for our annual, well, sometimes annual, sometimes not annual, BYKH. And so you'll see BYKH 2021 up there. Let me just tell you what BYKH is. It stands, I obviously stole it from a song, but it's Be Your Kingdom Here. The song is Build Your Kingdom Here. We kind of changed this to Be Your Kingdom Here several years ago with this idea that we want to go on mission trips, but we don't want to go with the idea that, like, we have answers and we're going to teach a community how to do church. We're just going to go and we're going to serve. And most importantly, we're going to learn. We're going to, we're going to learn what God is up to. And then we're going to take that. And we're going to learn who is God calling us to be as a result of that. So that's what we do on these trips. And like I said, a couple weeks ago, we went to Toledo. And so instead of me just talking about it, uh, we put together a little video, uh, just some highlights, but then also some of the teens kind of sharing uh, what they experienced and what they took away. So uh, for the next gen moment, would you just sit back and, uh, and watch this video? So during this trip, we got to do what's called a prayer walk, and that's where we walked around in town and prayed for those who we thought needed prayer. We also painted a church and organized a sports center. On this trip, God has taught me to connect with others and build better relationships. As a result of this trip, God has called me to help the less fortunate and pray for those who are hurting. On a ship, I painted walls and organized rooms. You don't have to teach people about God. You just have to show them love. To love people and their differences. Something I did on the trip was a prayer walk throughout the community. Something that God taught me on the trip was to be helpful to everyone, no matter what the circumstances are. And what God is calling me to do after the trip is just to help out with friends and family and the community more. This is my response video for the BYKH Commission Toledo trip. 
And uh, yeah, let's get right into it. So one thing I experienced on this trip is just having a lot of fun with my friends. Uh, just all the people that came, the Greens and uh, Camden was there and that was pretty much all the boys that I stayed with because uh, actually when we would go back into the, they were kind of like dorms. We stayed at this boarding school type thing. And uh, yeah, Josh and Dave and Samuel actually slept in a different rooms. So we pretty much just stayed up late like every night. And yeah, that was uh, a very fun thing that I experienced. And um, something that God taught me on this trip is um, just, I think, one thing that I, I think he kept reminding me of, I don't know about really taught, but just remember why you're here. Don't let it be any like personal selfish reasons. You're here, you're here to help. That's pretty much what I kept getting reminded. And um, I think a takeaway that God is showing me from this trip is to just be more present in the aspect of like volunteering and helping people that are in need and just doing what I can to spread the word of God. Thanks. Also, I'd just like to give a shout out and a big hello to my grandma. Hi, Momo. Alright, so something that I did on the trip was that um, the boys, we went to some guy's house and we, uh, we uh, some, of the, some of us went to the back of their house and helped pick out weeds and like clean up their backyard a little bit and then the rest of us, we, um, we chopped off branches and sticks that gotten too long and were hitting people's head. Something that God taught me on this trip was that um, you do not need to um, like preach to other people in order to um, sh share God's love, basically. So that was really evident in the, the whole trip that really stood out to me. Um, something God's calling me to do is just keep working on like my people skills and like just leading with other people. Um, like, I, I really liked how, how they handled things there how people, instead of like them preaching to them, people came to them about, people came to that other person's church about um, where they can like go to church, um, um, a group, I forget, a community center allowed them to have their, host their church meetings without them even asking for it, because they were willing to, pay, like they needed a place in the, community center just went and asked them saying since they had free space I just hope to be able to um, just have that kind of impact without like being being like in need of preaching I hope like my whole just normal personality is like that so um, that's what God's calling for me the one thing I experienced in the mission trip is that I built new relationships and better relationships and the one thing that God is calling me to do is just to show other people Him and to lead Him to them. And I also think that what God is calling me to do is to help others know Him and go to Him and just to love others like He would.
thing that I experienced on the trip was that we all have stories and we do need to share them even though how they might be hard for us to share them because some of us have hard pasts but I learned that no matter how hard your past might be it is still part of your story something God has taught me while I was on the trip that prayer is very important to be close with God and that I'm learning to be more patient and having patience with others and I'm learning to pray more for myself, my family, my community and for my church. One thing God is calling me to do is to get out into my community and be a Christ follower and lead others to be Christ followers as well. There is also another thing because I work at a fast food restaurant. I believe God is calling me to act like him while I'm at work, even though some might not believe in the religion, but I believe God is calling me to share the good news with my coworkers so that they know the good news. And I believe that the trip for me has awakened my eyes and it has drawn me closer to God. I want to say how grateful I am for being part of this church. One thing I experienced on this trip was how funny Larry was and going to his friend's house and cleaning up the backyard because they weren't capable of doing it for how old they were. Something that God has taught me on this trip was to have patience with people. At times it gets hard, but if you're patient, you can see good results through it. I wouldn't say I was patient all the time, but like, I feel like as days went on and being around a bunch of my siblings that I see every single day and my nephew, God kind of told me, hey, gotta be patient here. I get that you're tired, you're probably frustrated at some of them, but you gotta push on through the day. Remember you're here to serve, not be served. On this particular mission trip, we really just went out and loved on people. The group up there, um, Code Mission Toledo, were a Christian group that we went up there and joined for the week. And if you just like happened to see them out and about, you wouldn't really know that they were a Christian group because they didn't really like shove that in the faces of people around them. They more just went out into the community and just loved on people and focused more on just building relationships with them and in, through their relationship building, conversation about Jesus would just eventually just kind of come up on its own without them needing to like, like force people to like talk about it and or like shoving it in people's faces. And I thought that was super cool. The fact that they, you know, they know that being a Christian and being a disciple to other people is not always about just going out and shoving Jesus in people's faces, but rather just loving people and just building relationships with them. One thing that God taught me on this trip was that um, I need to just value people for just being people and not value people based on what they can 
and or can't do for me. I feel like God is just, um, is calling me to just keep on loving on the people around me, like we did up um, in Toledo. things we did on this mission trip was like landscaping, cleaning roofs, mowing, weed eating. Um, there are some closets in the Hope Center we cleaned out, organized, and we did some painting at a church. And God taught me on this mission trip that it's important to help others and it makes you feel good after doing it. As a result of this trip, I think God is calling me to do more of what we did. Awesome. It's a great, it's a great time. Uh, truthfully, I, I told my teens this in one of my debrief, just the fact that I get to do that for a living, that's my job. Like that's a, that's a lot of fun. I'm, I'm pretty blessed with that. So we had a great time. Thank you for those who supported. Uh, we had some financial support and we had lots of prayer support and we, we appreciated that. Um, so let's rock and roll. Are you guys ready? All right. All right. You guys are enthusiastic. I hope you remain enthusiastic throughout the remainder of this great topic that we have to talk about this morning. Last week, we began our uh, second segment of kind of our summer series. This summer, we're, we're kind of working through uh, the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica, First, first Thessalonians, Thessalonians specifically. For the first part of this, uh, we talked about how people are the priority of the kingdom. This week, we're, or this series, this month, we're talking about how holiness is the posture of the kingdom. And we'll finish this by talking about finishing strong. And so last week, Pastor Paul got to talk about um, these Nazarene buzzwords. If you've been around the Church of the Nazarene, for any length of time, you've heard these buzzwords of holiness and sanctification, right? We were joking in staff meeting after uh, this past Tuesday. Paul was joking that he could just, regardless of what he, what he talks about, if he just drops those, those words holiness and sanctification, then he's going to get some compliments on how well he preached. They're kind of our Nazarene denomination. Kind of, those are our key words, and we like to use those a lot. And so Paul got to really tickle ears with his sermon last week, and then he left me with a really fun topic for this week, and we'll jump right in there in just a couple of minutes. But what we talked about in this is that in this idea of holiness, in this idea of being sanctified, kind of what, what, what I came away with after last week was this idea that consecration, or offering up ourselves, offering up all of us, is what we do. This is our role. We consecrate all of our lives to God. And as a result, and in kind of return, sanctification or holiness is what God does for and in us. Right? We offer up, we consecrate ourselves. That's our part. We don't make ourselves holy. We don't, make, we don't sanctify ourselves. Right? We simply consecrate our lives to God, and He in turn makes us holy and sanctifies us through and through, as the old-time Nazarenes would say. But here's the thing. We, we, we talked about this from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And 
The thing that we have to remember is that 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 is not a standalone chapter. Right? Because by nature, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 implies what? Let's, let's test your logical thinking skills here. If it's chapter 4, what does that imply? There's a fly right in front of me and it's going to drive me nuts. What is it? It's after 3. Yes, leave it to the teacher to pull me through there. Thank you, Jody. Yes. If this is 1 Thessalonians... Do you guys see this fly in front of my face, by the way? Like, this thing is going to drive me nuts. All right, okay. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, by nature, means that there's something before it. Specifically, chapters 1 through 3, right? 1 Thessalonians 4 is not a standalone chapter. It's like this in the entire Bible. Right? There's no phrase or no verse that is standalone. This is, this is a cumulative piece. The, the books are cumulative pieces. We can't just take one chapter and, and, and build from that. We have to look at everything. It relies on the previous chapters as a whole letter. Through this last series, through the, through the series of people being the priority, what we looked at uh, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1-3 through 3 is that community or people matter. The point of this is community and people. People are a priority. So when we move to chapter 4 and we start to talk about holiness, we can't just leave it, we, we can't just start with that. We have to start with chapters 1 through 3 in mind where it talks about people being the priority and community mattering. And in light of that, we jump to this idea of holiness and sanctification. Community is significant. Holiness is not an individual accomplishment. It's about community. It's about the setting apart of a people. And so our passage of focus that we're looking at is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 3. If you want to go ahead and flip there, you can. I'll, I'll read it in just a few minutes. But our passage starts with this idea that it's God's will that all of you be sanctified. God's will is that you would all be sanctified. So what does that practically look like? Paul gives us this idea. God's will is for you to be sanctified. And then he goes on, and this is where we're going to spend the next couple of weeks, is what does that practically look like? Look like? And since community is important, since community matters, since community is significant, Paul starts with the most communal thing ever. And so we're going to practice this community with a little bit of an open mic session. All right, so I've got a microphone here. We'll do an open mic section, and this is what we're going to talk about. Sex. Sex. Who wants to go? I'm just kidding. We're not doing that. Gosh, I would lose my job if I did that. We're not doing an open mic session about sex. Okay, I said the word. Michael Scott said the word for us. Can we all, are we good? We're going to talk about sex today. Okay, well, so let's just, let's acknowledge it for what it is. It's awkward, it's not something we talk about. This idea of an open mic to talk about sex is crazy because sex is a very private thing. It's an intimate thing. So much so that it's kind of a taboo topic within the church. How many times have you been to a Sunday morning service and the preacher plays a clip of Michael Scott yelling sex? Probably not often, right? It's a taboo topic. It's, it's this private thing that we don't talk about. It's not exactly a communal thing. If you walked into a church, <laughs> it's, it's not. <laughs> 
If you, wa- if you walked into a church and we had an open mic session about sex, you might be a little hesitant to go back to that church, right? It's not this communal thing. I'm so grateful that you guys are laughing with me. First service is like, I'm like, guys, you gotta, you gotta throw me a bone here because this is a tough topic. So thank you all for laughing. I appreciate it. It's not this communal thing, but Paul starts with this as a key factor in what sanctification looks like practically. Read with me our, our passage for today. This is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we'll read verses 3 through 8. Again, based on what we talked about last week. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, or other versions say that you be sanctified, or that you be holy. This is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, so your, your, his will is sanctification, this is what that looks like. That you abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. And that no man transgress and defraud his brother in this matter. Because the Lord is the avenger in all these things. Just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. This is a weird place to start. Now let me just kind of give a, I don't know, a little caveat before we jump into this. Typically, if you were to hear a sermon on sex on a Sunday morning a lot of the focus would be about outside of here, right? About what the world is getting wrong when it comes to sexuality, okay? Let me just, I'm not preaching to the outside world today, okay? They're not hearing my voice. I'm preaching to us, right? So this, we can, it would be easy for me to tickle ears by talking about how terrible the world is, okay? That's not what I'm doing. And that's not what Paul's doing when he's writing this letter. He's not talking to an outside world. He's talking to the church. And so can I just talk to you as the church? This is a weird place to start. When we talk about holiness, when we talk about the significance of community, sex is a weird place to start. But it's not accidental. Paul didn't just haphazardly think, hey, I'm going to talk about just randomly sex here. This is not accidental. I think Paul had something in mind as he was talking about living this life of holiness and it's starting with sex. See, it starts with this most intimate thing in your life. If you're going to allow God to sanctify you, it starts with consecrating even the most intimate parts of your life. You heard Amy's little (laughs) comment before she was singing uh, take my life and let it be consecrated. And, and, and it, the, the song kind of goes through all of these different aspects of, of our life uh, that is consecrated, our mind and, our, and, our, and the things that we do and, our, uh, and all of this stuff, but it, it doesn't talk about sex, right? In the song, there's not a verse that says, take my sexuality and let it be consecrated. That would be a weird song to sing, right? But the idea of that song is that we're consecrating our entire lives, everything within us, we're consecrating it to God. And Paul says that that starts with your most intimate thing, your most private thing, your sexuality. Paul says it starts there. It starts with that intimate part of your life. 
that thing that we see as the most private thing in our life, guess what? It's not private to God. (laughs) I don't know if you know this or not, but those moments of privacy and intimacy, it's not hidden from God, (laughs) right? Like, I hope that I'm not bursting any bubbles here. But it's not private. Like, I think back to Adam and Eve, right? When they sinned and they're, they're kind of hiding from God and God's like, where are you at? Like, God didn't, he, wasn't, he didn't know where they were, right? This, this isn't a private thing to God. This is something that is consecrated. Even the most intimate parts of our life are consecrated to God. Ernest Best said this, Sanctification is not for worship alone, but for every act of life. According to Paul, that even means sex. Our sexuality. Sanctification is for every act of life. But I think Paul also starts here because of the cultural context in which he wrote this letter. Again, we don't approach Scripture from a point of view where this is something that we just read in our 21st century mind, in our uh, Western Christianity. We, we don't, that's not the way that we understand Scripture, right? We understand, understand Scripture to be written in a specific context, in a specific culture, to a specific people. Right? So if we're going to understand this, we have to understand some of the cultural context. And so Paul writes this with a very specific cultural context in mind. It's written to the church in Thessalonica. This was a Greco-Roman group of people that were being set apart by God. That God was drawing them together as the church out of their Greco-Roman culture into this body of Christ, into this church that God was sanctifying, that God was setting apart from everyone else around them. This was a context where sexual immorality was accepted and even expected. Sex was mainly a a means of self-gratification. So practically speaking, what this looked like was a culture where free men were essentially given the freedom and the ability to get sex from whoever they wanted, whenever they wanted, for their own sexual gratification. And so it's in this context that Paul starts with sex. And so since Paul started with sex... And since Paul Mills is on vacation, and what better way to really do it to your youth pastor, to make him talk about sex, we're going to start with sex as well. I love that you guys are laughing. This is great. (laughs) What does this look like? What does it look like for God to sanctify us through and through even in aspects of our sexuality? Let me read verse 4 to you. That each of you know how to possess his own vessel. Each of you begin, or, uh, be, each of you know how to possess his own vessel. Now, there's a little bit of uh, kind of debate and, and different takes on what exactly Paul is referring to when he says, possess your own vessel. Some say simply body, possess, control, your own body. That might be the case if Paul is writing to the the, the church as a whole, including men and women. If that's what Paul's writing to, then maybe that's the way. But there's another side of this that says Paul was maybe specifically talking to the men, and so he says, control your own vessel. And there's other places where the word vessel is a euphemism for the male parts, right? 
I don't know what Paul had in mind. I wasn't there when he wrote it. Either he was talking about possess your own body, or he was talking to the guys and possess your own and control your own male parts. Whatever it is that Paul is referring to here, I don't really know because I wasn't there. But regardless of which way you land, whether he's talking about body or just your male parts, here's what he says. You get control of it. You get control of it. Now let me, like, this isn't Paul coming down hard on his people. In fact, if you know anything else about Thessalonians and what we talked about for the past several weeks, is that Paul, like Paul was extremely impressed by the church in Thessalonica. They were doing really well, and this is a lot of encouragement, but it's also this moment of coaching. Knowing that you're coming out of the context and the culture that you're coming out of, this is something that I need you to be aware of. Paul says, get control of your own vessel. Can we talk about that for a minute? Again, remembering that we're, we're simply talking to those within the church. That's what we're talking about here. So I'm addressing things that I think are relevant to us as the church. The truth is, is that we like to put the responsibility of this particular thing on anything other than ourselves. Paul says, you get control of your own vessel. You control your own body. You control whatever. Get control of it. The truth is, is that sometimes within the church, we like to put this responsibility on anything other than ourselves. Here's what that practically looks like. Wives, you've got to have sex as much as your husband wants. Because if you don't, then he's going to turn into an animal. And he's going to go crazy. Right, well, if my wife would just have sex with me more, then I wouldn't have to look at this computer video and get pleasure that way. I wouldn't have to do that. Or if my wife would just do what I, would fulfill my desires, then, man, that affair would never have taken place with my coworker. Paul doesn't say, wives, take control of this for your husband. Paul makes it pretty clear here. You get control of this. i tell you another way I think it plays out is this. Modest dress in young ladies. The amount of times I've heard it said that a young lady has to dress modest. Now, don't, don't mishear me. I'm not, I'm not negating or... Uh, diminishing modesty, I mean, that's not what I'm doing at all. But what I'm simply saying is if we're putting the responsibility of our lustful thoughts and our, and our sexual immorality on the dress of a young lady, and that's not what Paul's doing here. You get control. You take responsibility. Stop casting the blame on someone else or something else. You take responsibility. You get control of your own vessel. So what does sanctification in our sexuality not look like? If we jump to verse 5, Paul says that it's not in lustful passion. See, sex in the context of passionate lust is centered around one thing. Self-love, self-gratification. This self-love and this self-gratification, it practically plays out in the objectification of another person. And if we take seriously our call that people are the priority of the kingdom, when we begin to objectify any other person, then we're missing the mark. 
So this person, whether physically with me or only with me through some form of media, this person is now simply an object to fulfill my own desires. We've objectified this person. We'll talk in just a minute about more about keeping from sexual, from sexual immorality for the sake of others, but I just want to touch on this briefly. Self-love, self-gratification, selfish desires is the exact opposite of what we're working towards in holiness and sanctification. See, holiness moves us to a position of self-sacrifice for the sake of others. And so to live into this idea of self-gratification and self-love and self-desires and let that take charge of you is the exact opposite of what we're hoping and wanting God to do in us, moving us towards sanctification and holiness. So this leads us to our why. Why does Paul make such a big deal of this? Why does Paul encourage, or I would even say, why does Paul demand that we refrain from sexual immorality? First, I think it's this, so that God can continue to sanctify you. Again, holding so dearly to our own selfish desires prevents God from moving us to a place of holiness. When we cling so tightly to our own desires, we simply cannot live a life of self-sacrifice for the sake of others. So we start with our sexuality so that God can sanctify you. But we can't stop with just you. We can't stop with just me. I think Paul starts here so that God can continue to sanctify the community. Verse 6 says in some translations, In this matter, do no harm to your brothers and sisters. If we are taking seriously, again, our call to make people the priority in our kingdom, sexual immorality does harm to the community. We think about this as, you know, a lot of times we just think, well, it's just me. This is, this is my private thing, and it's, it's hurting no one. It's, it's, it's not doing any damage other than me. Paul makes it very clear that this sexual immoral immorality, it leads to harm in the community. We have to be concerned with the sanctification of our community as a whole. And so what does that look like for our community? I want to start to kind of wrap this up and bring this home. And as I do, I would encourage you to join me in some, some kind of imagining or some what-ifs. What would happen if? Join me as we, as we think through what this might look like. What if we took seriously the significance of holiness or set-apartness of our community as a whole? What if we took seriously the significance of the sanctification of our community as a whole. In my studying for this sermon, I told Chelsea the other last night, she's like, you're not finished writing it yet? I'm like, I did so much studying on this because this is one of those topics where I'm like, I just want to, I want to stick to the scripture, right? I spent, I, I spent much more time studying this one than, than most sermons. But in my studying for this sermon, I kept coming across a seemingly significant component of this idea of sanctification. And that's the idea of the sanctification of the community. 
See, Paul realized that God was setting apart this group of people, this church in Thessalonica. He was, he was setting the part. He was pulling them out of this cultural sexual immorality that was found in their Greco-Roman society in, in what, what Paul says, like the Gentiles. Paul knew that God was pulling them out of this, setting them apart, but not just setting them apart for their own good, but for the sake of those around them. That God wanted to sanctify them, to set them apart, to make them holy for the good of the community as a whole, the people around them. So we, this church, this community, is called to be set apart for the sake of our community as a whole, for the community around us. We are set apart to be a representation of God to our community and to our world. That is what we are called to be. Can I be really honest for a few minutes? Again, I'm talking to, the, to us as the church. With this idea of a representation of God, I can't help but be disheartened by the representation of God that we sometimes are because of this issue of sexuality. When it comes to sexual ethic, the truth is, whether we want to admit it or not, we as the church have very little voice. Our words hold very little weight. Now we could say that it's simply because of the stances that we might take on certain sexual things, but I think that might just be a little bit of a cop-out. And that cop-out requires no self-reflection or no self-introspection. I'm becoming more and more concerned that it's because we have been so vocal about sexual ethics in the public square, but our private lives are anything but sexually pure. And it's coming to light. This is not a newsflash, but we, were, we live in a world where news spreads rapidly. Essentially, nothing is private anymore. We're seeing more and more high-profile names who have been publicly vocal about sexual ethics and sexual purity. And they're having their private lives revealed, and the truth is, is that they simply don't match. And it is destroying our representation of God to a world that desperately needs Him. So again, let's imagine. Let's dream. What would it look like for each and every one of us to consecrate even the most intimate and private parts of our lives? our sexuality, in order to allow God to sanctify us through and through, yes, for the individual, but even more so to allow God to sanctify us collectively as a community. What would that look like? And we like to wrap up our sermon, our teaching time with, with moments of response. And I understand that responding to a sermon like this is rather awkward, right? Because you could say you come to the altar and then you're like, well, this is a topic and if I go to the altar then everybody's going to know what I'm... Look, whatever. I'm, we're just going to give some space. If you want to come to the altar and you want to be bold and say, yeah, this is something I want to consecrate, man, by all means do so. 
Maybe you just want to take that moment in your seat and just talk to God. What, what would it look like? But here's my, here's my real challenge and my real encouragement. What if you made your response time go outside of these two minutes that we have here? Because this is something that is significant. And so my challenge and my encouragement to you would be that your response would go beyond these four walls and that this wouldn't be just one of those things that, oh yeah, that, 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 those, that's good, I need to think about that, and then we walk out of here and we never do it. What would it look like for you to talk to someone about this? Like, well, Josh, that's awkward, that's private. Yeah, but it's significant. We were never meant to do this alone, right? We were meant to do this in community. So man, if you're just like, I know that I need to do this, but I have no idea what to do, I have no idea where to start, man, I would encourage you to talk to one of us on, on staff, one of us pastors, not that we have any answers, but we can help you. We can walk alongside you. Maybe we can point you in the right direction. I happen to know for a fact that we have people in our church who are passionate about this particular topic who would love to walk alongside people who are going through the same thing. So would your response time even go beyond these four walls into your actual practical real life, even in the most intimate settings? Don't keep burying this as a personal, private thing. Take just a couple minutes and seek God, and then I'll close us in prayer. God, we thank you for your promise of grace, your promise to sanctify us, to make us holy, to set us apart, to mold us into your image. God, right now we acknowledge that that even means that we consecrate those most intimate and private parts of our lives. And so, God, right here, right now, we give that to you, our sexuality. God, that we would live in a way that doesn't fall to sexual immorality, but that we are set apart even in that area. God, I pray that you would give us boldness and courage to not continue to bury this and to not talk about it and make it some taboo topic, but, God, that we would bring things to light, that we would reach out and ask for help, that we would offer to walk alongside others who are going through a struggle of what it looks like to give God even the most intimate parts of our lives. And we believe that as we do that, you will be faithful to continue that work of molding us into your image. So God, here we are. We're yours. We consecrate our lives to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless. You're dismissed.